Ladies and gentlemen, this stage is set. The mics are on. It's not another fight cast time. With your hosts, fighting out of the blue corner. This man is a former fighter. The voice of Brave Combat Federation and Clan Wars MMA. The great and powerful Phil Campbell. Fighting out of the red corner. This man is a former fighter. And now one of the best coaches in mixed martial arts. The one and only Andy the Icon Burrow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome along to another episode of Not Another Fight Cast with myself, Phil Campbell, my illustrious host, Andy Burrows. Andy, how's it going? Not too bad, Phil. Uh, good to be back. Actually, you had a very busy couple of weeks there with uh, Clam Wars. You had uh, obviously a lot of coaching, uh, coaching and a lot of commentating gigs to contend with, and obviously a lot of coaching for me. So it's nice to get the show back up and running. Um, today, we're very, very lucky to have, again, another very kind of weird, self-indulgent podcast for me, because i got one of my mates on. Um, <laughs> A guy who is quite well known in Northern Ireland, not only for having one of the most popular restaurants in in Northern Ireland at the minute, but also being a quite a good BJJ exponent. So we're really happy to welcome to the show Mr. Gary McEldowney. Gary, how are you? Not too bad, gents. I'm uh, hoping through my phone for something all to chat about and see if we can find it, but I'll keep going as, as we chat anyway. That's good. Um, we've knocked this around for a while to get uh, get you on the show, obviously. Um, I've known you for quite a number of years back in the the days of DJing and stuff, um, but really tell us more about your, your journey to where you've ended up now. Uh, so me, uh, a lot of people probably know me through DJing, I now haven't set foot in a DJ box in about four and a half years, um, was doing a lot of, started off doing weddings, functions, usual kind of route in the DJ, uh, moved into nightclubs and done really, really well out of it, um, just purely because I wasn't kind of self-absorbed in what I would play and I would play to... Um, whatever crowd was there, and I would do anything from raves to uh, whatever really. Um, so I built up and I had quite a good uh, few residencies, rain, uh, milk, then rain, Elevino, Cafe Bottle, things like that. Um, quite a lot of people probably knew me through doing it, uh, and then decided to give it up a bit to focus on the kids and uh, the business. Yeah, and yeah. that obviously leads us into basically a fitness journey for you. People knew you as DJ Slim, and it was an ironic name that you had virtually uh, pinned to yourself. The name came from, I was working in the Welly Park Hotel at 15 or 16, and uh, at the time, the, the Welly was at its peak, it was a couple of thousand people in every weekend, it was just completely rammed, and I was finishing school at five o'clock, or sorry, four o'clock, and then worked for five o'clock, and um, I spent my weekends in the Welly every weekend, Friday through to Sunday, and working, just got a, a bug for making money, I really enjoyed it, and uh, <laughs> one of the, yeah, there's quite a few people don't actually, um, and then one of the barmen, one day forgot my name and called me Slim, and it stopped from there, my parents called me Slim, and everybody else called me Slim, um, I was never schooling stuff, I was never athletic, um, never done anything, never had any interest in sports whatsoever, I went to school in Ballinahinch and the only sport they played was Gaelic. I had no interest in it whatsoever. Um, they tried rugby one year, I enjoyed it, and uh, the school didn't really have an interest in it, never progressed. So I think I don't pee probably twice in my, my five years in secondary school, it was never really for me. Um, outside of that, not from a sporting family. Um, my father worked and was never, was never into sports, didn't like golf, doesn't like anything. So. Um, we were never kind of sports ladies, no interest in football, things like that. Um, full circle now, once I got into fitness, I bought him his first gym membership um, about yeah, 10 years ago. And 
that he would put me to shame now. Um, he, a couple of years ago, whenever the Grand Fondo was here, he done the, the full thing, was meant to do like a relay section of it, and ended up doing the full 110, 120 miles, whatever it was. Very, very impressive. Um, just, a, just a hobbyist that was no one to stop. And um, he's, he's, it's that old thing where you see the, the memes with the, with the bikes, and if I die, nobody tell my wife what my bikes are worth, that kind of thing. Um, but he's, I'm a bike geek as well, so it's one of those things, once you get one bike, it's just not enough. You yeah. have to have more. You have to have carbon things. You have to have different yeah. everything. So I, I appreciate all trading gear. Though. I think it's once you get once yeah. you get a little bit of something, there's always a next level. That, that's me. All the gear, no idea. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned that, that you're not necessarily from an athletic background, a sport of family. So what was the catalyst for your own progression uh, into into fitness into into health? For me, um, my sister ran New York Marathon for charity, and. Um, we were over, we went over as a family, one sister got married whenever we were there and the other one ran the marathon. And I went with my dad to meet her at the finish line and it was the sheer buzz in New York. The, the buzz, we didn't watch her do the marathon, we went to meet her at the finish line. And it was the sheer buzz, uh, Central Park, Times Square, that whole thing. And, it, and I was like, I want to come back and do this. And I had to fully convince myself I was coming back to do this. Come back, I was like, right. A friend of hers, a girl called Jillian, it was her secretary at the time. Uh, she runs marathons, she's done time she'd done 20 plus and uh so i get on really well with her mister was like oh, i want to go for a run she's like yeah of course no problem and i would then try and run there was about 24 and a half stone i was like okay yeah i can't do this there's something wrong here um so i was still trying to do it um but then i get into i was working uh wednesday jen was working for a firm and um, stolen alarm cctv and, which is our kind of old family business and uh, i was working with a guy who was doing tie boxing and then i get into the, the mecca of tie boxing in northern ireland when trained with frankie mcconville okay um, so uh, trained with frankie for uh, a few years never had an interest in fighting never done it but really really enjoyed just training then in frames um single guy and spent three days a week in mm. the, the loft down at frames and um, hitting pads and doing things which is really good um, it's, it's a different kind of fitness really isn't it? You, yeah. see, I, you see people that run strictly to run I genuinely think they're fucking mental I mean I know you enjoy running yeah. I think that's fucking mental yeah. see if you're running from point A to point B and that's I don't see the stimulus in that with the likes of hitting pads, with the likes of maybe sparring, things like that. I think there's also a, a diversionary element of that. We are not necessarily just focused on the fitness side of things, there's also skills. Oh, yeah, there's just, technique and skill, obviously, yeah. deeply involved in that as well. And, and it, it, it does cross over. I'm a running nerd, so yes, it does cross over. This is you defend running. Yes, it is. Um, well, so, the, cross over the, 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 the running. The stick up for Andy, I kind of forgot about the running for a while, get into the time option because you can stand still in one spot and you can hit things, doesn't matter what size you are. Um, really enjoyed it, but I did go on. I done. I've done about two marathons. So I was training for New York, and then uh, in training for New York, I signed up to do a relay in Belfast. Um, done the first leg of the relay, went to hand the band over, couldn't find the girl I was handing over to, and then I found her, and she was kind of like, ah, uh, him and ham, where much was going to go on. So I took the band, was like, right, no problem, I'll run on. Met a guy that both of you probably know, a guy called Gareth Noy. Uh, oh yeah, so I met Gareth at mile nine, and I knew him from, I, I'll do full circle, I'll explain how I knew him in a second, but bumped into Gareth at mile nine, ran with him for a bit, and then I was like, right, I'm done with kind of 16, 17. He's like, oh, no, you're not. I was like, no, 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 I am. Like, I've, I've physically never ran more than four miles, and it was my goal that day to run the first four miles, see how I went. Met him at nine, felt great, ran with him for a bit, 16, 17, felt brilliant. Went to stop, and Gareth's like, no, you're not stopping, so... Uh, met his now wife and a couple of his friends down around Maysfield. They were there to help him finish the end of it. And instead, Gareth 
uh, went behind me, his three mates had me by either arm, and his wife was on the front of me backwards, and Gareth was just laughing and pushing me around the last three or four miles, so I ended up finishing Belfast by accident. What year um, was that? Uh, 2000, uh, I want to say 2000, no, 2011, yeah. um, done it, and it was really funny because they wouldn't give me a medal, because I was really uh, my sister wrote to them, got my medal, got it sent out in the post, um, which was quite cool. So they were able, because I still had the relay tag on or whatever, they were still able to track me. So uh, got the medal for it. That was training, done it in May and then in New York was November. Um, first marathon at the time was weighing about probably 18 stone and done a marathon at 4.37. Uh, Very impressive. Gareth, which for having never ran more than four miles yeah. I wasn't with went on to do New York and uh, took a bit of advice off a few people before doing it so New, New York's a real kind of it's built up of charities 50,000 people mm-hmm. um, and getting away at the start can be a real uh, nightmare to say the least it's just crazy congested yeah, complete. so they, they start the marathon in the army barracks and it's really heavily patrolled it's like soldiers standing with guns and they let everybody go on corals and when they're going blah 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 so whenever I filled out an application for the marathon I thought the guard Gillian and we filled it out that I had these amazing marathon times. So uh, there's loads of photographs of me up at the start with all the all the Kenyans and all the elites <laughs> um, watching the mirror in New York cutting the cutting the ribbon and me standing with all these guys that went eight stone going one of these um, things is not like the other. Yeah, but it was great actually because it, it, it meant I got away. I didn't have to worry about um, anybody else getting out of the way. I just picked the line in the road and just ran. I got me a really good start. So the first three four miles went really well. Um, they do big tubs of Gatorade. Yeah, and, yeah. So get in, take a swig. Gatorade, um, mile six or seven, stomach started curling, ended up with Martin Friends in the shits, and it was just terrible. Uh, it was honestly terrible. So, uh, ended up, I finished it, but it took me like six hours, something completely dehydrated, legs cramped, and everything. And I was going to stop so many times, and then you look around, and somebody besides just running, and there's guys like New York's insane, there's guys running with hula hoops, there's people running backwards with basketballs. Yeah. There's, yeah. A lot of guys who do do charity things obviously have a charity gimmick, yeah, it helps yeah. them earn a little bit more money. There's like people done with like fridges, towing fridges, yeah. pushing things. There all the, the I've seen a guy who's quite famous who uh, <coughs> runs with a backpack with like a 40 kg. He's an older guy, yeah. um, like he's 60s, 70s. Runs with a backpack with uh, filled with bricks um, and does it to raise money for drug awareness. And, uh, like Joe Clifford, for example. Joe Clifford runs more for his brother. He's had a modified wheat. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. A, also Team Care over from over here do exactly the same thing. They run not quite a lot of the marathons and they have obviously somebody who's obviously got quite a lot of uh, disabilities but they run the marathon with that person it's fantastic it was insane some of the, some of the things I've seen it was like you know turning uh, addicts into athletes things like that people that were <laughs> I ran on chatting a guy who was wrong with like, 10 or 15 people and it was he was trying to explain to people and this is where I was, was going to bang Andy up the high that you can get from running mm. on that runner's wall and once you get through it it's phenomenal euphoric like, virtually see, see the emotions that I ran through and New York, I come off the, the back of a you know, bad breakup with a girlfriend or ex girlfriend at the time that was literally torturing me. My phone didn't stop the whole thing. I was trying to use it for listening to music and whatever else and chat a couple of minutes to my around, just getting plagued. And my head was a complete mess as I was running. And then you, you kind of take in your surroundings and where you're at. And it's like, I had marriage proposals on the way around. You, like you're running through all the different districts in New York and you go through the Bronx and all the hip hop DJs and uh, you go through the Jewish quarter and they, they don't clap so they're standing like with their two hands making a motion like they're clapping and the, the whole thing and the, the difference of what you go through and taking in the city is phenomenal. Uh, in the Irish district uh, when they grab water off somebody and it was actually a shot of whiskey and they, they were all yeah and I was like this is not what I need. Um, so finished it, got a, a rickshaw back to the hotel 
um, was lying in the back of it, foil blanket on the mm-hmm. weekend, a bike pedaling me down, and he actually stopped at like a kebab stand in the corner somewhere and got me chicken, <laughs> chicken shawarma. Was like, you need to eat this, and I was like, no, no, just just give me back to the hotel. Um, What's the so, level of camaraderie like when you're going around? Because as you say, you know, you're talking to people that, you know, you're, you're, it's you're, you're in a melting pot of people there. There's, really? a, there's a guy in front of me, a lot of people travel and a lot of people don't trust hotels and don't trust safes. There's a guy in front of me dropped a roll of money. Um, it must have been a couple of grand wrapped up in a, in a rubber band and he dropped it and I picked it up. <laughs> the, probably the fastest it was in the marathon was trying to catch the guy to give him, <laughs> give him his money back. <laughs> it was like... Didn't, didn't think about it, just gave my back and I'm like, what am I doing? Um, but yeah, it's insane. Some of the, some of the people you meet, some of the stories you see, and it, it's like, um, one of the big things that I was saying about the motivator was seeing Laura, my sister, run. Uh, like we were on the subway and people were getting up and giving her a seat and things like that. And people in New York just genuinely love it. Um, it was like, I was there, I, ran, I went with a charity, I was meant to go with a friend that he pulled out the day of, and didn't go, so I ended up going on my own. And then I'm sitting in a, in a bar, like, Buffalo Wild Wings or Hooters or whatever else, sitting eating chicken wings like two days later, like half asleep. And um, I done the whole tourist thing, walked far too much around New York and everything before. And uh, I was sitting in a bar and even people gave me free drinks and food mm-hmm. and coming up and offering to pay for bill. I was wearing my mask and um, things like that. So, yeah, it's like any sport. Um, and we're going to talk about obviously BJJ in a minute or two, but uh, there's people just kind of. There's a huge, you know, huge community there. Yeah, camaraderie is. Um, but I think as well that something like New York, because it is one of the bigger marathons that you do get an awful lot of the elite runners going to. You get a lot of hobbyists and yeah. charity places that pay for the marathon. That's yeah. what pays for that to be able to be run. So I think also as well, it being a road marathon, it's one of the ones that people will go and see and watch. I always find that road marathons are really impersonal. Like, yeah. I mean, literally, if you tripped in Belfast, people are going to stand on you. They're not going to pick you up. Belfast's horrible. Yeah. yeah. Post-9-11 has a lot to do with it as well. The camaraderie. I think there's a huge element. And Boston, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. The I remember as well, yeah. Forget about that. Pukered piece of shit in Boston. So, um... But I think as well, if you try and if you are interested in running and you do take up running and you choose to take a marathon on, um, it's a huge, huge endeavour, monstrous endeavour. So any person who's done one, it is a fantastic thing to do. But I would advise any person to go and run a, a marathon off road. Yeah. Try your first one on the road and then go and run off road. You'll probably never want to do another marathon. On the road. I have uh, a friend like I went to school with, and I was the best man at his wedding, and we, we've kept in touch over the years, but we, we wouldn't be very close now. But um, Stuart's mum had an illness and. Forgive me, I can't even remember the charity at the minute. Um, he was speaking to him, his father passed away last week when I was down chatting to him. He is at a ridiculous number of marathons and he is in, I don't even care if he hears this, I'll probably send it to him myself, but he's, a, he's in, in terrible shape. Like he's not, he does, he runs and he trains and he takes his training so, so seriously. Doesn't look after his nutrition and he, he, like he, he's held together with bandages and what he does, but he's starting to, to run ultras and things. So he does yeah. it purely from a, a fundraising perspective, but he's up over 30 marathons now. It's the, the total, like, it takes in your body it's completely it, it, insane on a cellular level the amount of damage you do to yourself with marathons I've done two marathons in one week before and it was horrendous and there's people I know in our club who ran four marathons in four days and stuff like that so it's what about, what about the mental aspect of it because you know we said like, physic, physically it's been obviously because of what you're doing to your body but, but mentally for, for me it's massively massively tall mental um, <laughs> like I don't have one because my body was absolutely in no way conditioned to do it. Um, far a bit of Thai boxing, I had no kind of fitness experience or anything else. I was obviously quite a fit individual, but um, from being able to do it, and it's, it's like, oh, you, you chat to people like doing a marathon, they're like, oh, how far is that? And you're like, uh, it's like you know, 26.2 miles, and um, 
nobody ever really understands what it is. It, it kind of, from having done it, it pisses me off every year. Whenever you see the posts of both doing a marathon tomorrow or done a marathon today, they're like, no, you've done a relay in the marathon. Yeah. You, you didn't do it. And that kind of thing. And it, it may, may sound a bit petty and a bit whatever, but like Andy will tell you from running marathons, it's extremely lonely. Um, even running with people because you kind of go into your own space whenever you're running. Um, whatever way I'm made up, I'm faster uphill. Um, I haven't run in years, but anytime we were out running, we used to do kind of shows great strand millers, around bonnets and all that. And Gillian uh, used to laugh at me because I used to speed up on hills. Um, as I was going up hills, I used to, to speed up. But you need to be, if you're like, you'll know much more about this than me, but you need to be comfortable with your running partners as well. And it's kind of like when you're in a relationship, there needs to be that comfortable silence. And you need to, you, know, you don't need to just be talking nonsense. You need to be all right, sort of talking to yourself and having your own yeah. thoughts. And, and spending um, time in your own mind. Spending time in your own mind is yeah, a massive I, thing. I think people miss out on that. That's something I miss now. I obviously went for hip replacement at the minute. Yes. Fucking wrong. Um, but uh, spending time in your own mind for three or four hours on a training run even is a very brilliant place to be. I find it very cathartic. Being, being I'm in, telling you. Like, I hate being on my own here. That's why I listen to podcasts. Yeah. Relentlessly. I used to. It's. I used to find listening to music, and I know a lot of people can and can't run the music. Mm-hmm. But I used to listen to dance music. I used to peak too soon because mm-hmm. you're trying to run the pace of the music. Yeah. There's a LCD sound system. Have a 45, 33. And it's a thing that's, I don't know whether or not it was made, but it's like seemingly the perfect party sessions, 45 minutes, whatever. And it's just, it's it's just okay house music, but it's really, really good to run because the thing follows the yeah. same kind of beat the other way through. Um, I actually find it best running the hip hop. Uh, I don't particularly like hip hop music, mm-hmm. like a bit more now, but running the hit and that kind of constant steady beat yeah, yeah, yeah. was much better. Because I, I find myself like, yeah, you're saying you're trying to get away from your thoughts in your own head and you like the music, you kind of go with it. You find yourself rolling, like if you're listening to something at 130, 140 BPM, you're. You try and keep up with the music, and it's almost you're better having that kind of steady, constant pace. Yeah, yeah. hip hop, as you say, has kind of like that steady dance. There's very few peaks and troughs. Yeah, and a, and a generic hip hop um, But it's, it's a good way to do it. Um, jumping back to Gareth Roy, I, whenever I was training in Frankie's, I trained with a guy called Damien McGrave. Oh, Damien of SPG, yeah. Damien of SPG Belfast. So, um, Damien was doing Muay Thai at the time, and then he wanted to get into MMA, and he said he wanted to go and try some Jiu Jitsu. So uh, me and Damien went to our very first class together in the valley in Gracie Barra. Uh, we went up. Um, I ran Damien up. We dumped two or three weeks, and that's where I first met Gareth, and that's, I met uh, Johnny and loads of other people from that. Stuck at it for three, four weeks, and then the center wasn't for me. Worked out my way and all those other kind of things, and then I dropped out of it. So. I think that was maybe 13 odd years ago. Yeah, right I was going to say, in fairness, that was the Valley Squash Board class. Yeah. And it wasn't the people who went to that were a different breed of human beings. Yeah. It wasn't. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a recreational. It, it was not. It wasn't a recreational class. Like I remember, I used to do the warm up, and people would turn up late because of the warm up. They were like, oh, fuck, I'm not going to or hang about in the hallway. That's me now. But the, <laughs> there was method to my madness because the class was absolutely brutal. There was some, like, you think of the people who were there, like Alan, Davey, Johnny, Graham, yeah. uh, uh, Paddy Ritchie, all yeah, these Jim people. Moore. Kevin Moore, Carmer, a couple of times too. So you're thinking these people now, that's what was in the classroom with me, and it was brutal. And I was the lightest person there. Yeah. So that was a tough, tough class. For me, like, I enjoyed it, um, but it was just those kind of things. And it's like, you know, you hear people making excuses about training and stuff now, and it just wasn't handy for me to get to. I was coming to the Belfast to go to the Valley, and it wasn't for me. Damien stuck at it. I didn't. Then Damien moved, and he took a bit of an offshoot at Gracie Barra, and went down to Centaur. Oh, Centaur? Yeah. yeah. And I was running it, and then... Uh, a bit of a fallout there, but I was down with Damien a few times, um, 
and then in between times I actually was up with Johnny in Beachmont. Johnny ran away to the next class up in Beachmont, so yeah. I went up there and went and bought a judo gi and went up there four or five times and uh, it was a bit of fun and it's, I, I got to meet a kind of lot more of the guys there. Um, I'd probably done BJJ a handful of times, like say 10 times, and then uh, Damien moved down to Centaur and Damien messaged me, I was like, I'd love you to get back in this, blah, blah, blah. So I went down and started doing a few sessions with Damien. Um, I had a store at the time, Victoria Square, so whenever we were there, I was nipping around to him. Done a couple of lunchtime things there, and then like, loved it, posted loads of pictures on Instagram, me standing in my, in my new gear and my pink rash guard and my white belt, but I could just never get into a rhythm with training with it. Um, and then full circle to where I am now, uh, I started a friend of mine at BJJ, um, brought him down to Demons a few times, Demon changed from Gracie Barron, went down on his own as uh, Maeda. Or, uh, Maeda first, wasn't Maeda he? Maeda first, and then he brought John up for a seminar and then became SBG Belfast. Um, so we kind of went to a few classes there, we Marty McFenham was taking him, mm-hmm. um, and Marty, if you're familiar with him or not, he's a purple belt. He's now split again with loads of fractions in the, in the jiu-jitsu community, but uh, Marty's now new ground, but uh, Marty was taking classes as a blue belt, and Marty was class, loved his teaching. Mm-hmm. Went to SPG a few times, uh, whenever they moved and uh, took the premises they're in now. And it just, it, it's one of those things that it wasn't convenient, and it's, you're talking about kind of the difference between somebody who's really into it and the hobbyist, and for me, I was trying to get down to six o'clock class after finishing work, was leaving the office at half five, rushing in, um, trying to get into change, train and doing all that, and I just wasn't enjoying the process of it, so I fell out of the way of it. To a friend who I started at, I kind of stuck at it for a bit, because he worked in the city centre, nine to five job, mm-hmm. and was able to sort of saunter around, and that was him. So he was sending me all these messages of him training and stuff, and then he fell out of the way going. And then uh, I moved house, and he gave me a hand moving house, spent quite a bit of time around my house, barbecue in the summer, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he said to me, oh, you have to come around and train. And, there's guys trying to be DJ around and carried off and I'm living not too far from it. I was like, oh, I don't know. I was like, I don't really get a complete snob. I don't want to go on there and be DJ off some crackpot in the leisure centre. I had, I had this vision of, and you'll, you'll remember because in the valley, the guys who trained before the Gracie Barra guys were the Crab Maga guys. And they used to be in the squash courts with their boots on and their combat trousers and their, their rubber knives, their rubber knives and their black t-shirts. And it was, those. Yeah, they were, they were kicking pads with their boots on and... Um, I had fucking greeners in the mat and head stops for everybody. Yeah, I had I had this vision whenever he said to me, I was like, look, I am not going to a community centre to learn BJJ off some crackpot crab maga instructor. And he was like, he's just laughing at himself, going, no, 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 you have to come around. My cousin's there, my cousin's there, and you have to whatever. So, lo and behold, uh, dug a gear out and rocked up and went round, and it was kind of like, oh, well, what's going on? And I knew... I knew Alan, I knew Kieran, I knew Connor Dunbar, who were three of the black belts. Um, I knew them, and then I knew Guy Ronnie Malone, who mm-hmm. got his brown belt last week. Oh, brilliant. Um, Good for Ronnie. Well done. Congratulations, Ronnie. Excellent stuff. Ronnie, Sean, Aaron. Uh, yeah. I really love their brown belts. But, oh, Aaron, um, good brown belt too. Aaron, Aaron congratulations as well, dude. Well done. So, the, I sort of seen all them guys, and was like, wait, hold on a minute, what, you know, what's going on here? And I couldn't actually believe that they were coaching in a, in a mm-hmm. center. They... Uh, as we were chatting about beforehand, they were all formerly Gracie Barra, differences of opinions or for whatever reasons, um, they, they kind of went off on their own, started the club by accident, and at the minute, uh, that's where I'm training, training consistently, kind of do, uh, do fundamentals on a Monday night, open man on a Wednesday night, um, fundamentals on a Thursday, and then if I have the energy, I'll stay on and do the advanced mm-hmm. uh, guy, Eddie Salford, Black Belt. Eddie's fantastic, yeah, Eddie was one of the, the squash court guys as well, so... Yeah. Yeah, there's another one to add to that list of absolute brutal Eddie's creatures. A horrible human being. Uh, uh, 
he got quite excited for me there. I was, I was chatting to the Phil's for a donor and I competed about three four weeks ago in the NIO. Uh, and the guy you were chatting to to get our microphone working today, Mr. Jack Stoops. I fought Jack. I was actually going to say, this is, what a weird, what a weird tie-in. Um, we're going to say you then took part in and I only a couple yeah. of weeks ago, and you took on Jack Aaron Stoops of the Super Rad MMA show. Yeah. They just had Curtis Blades on. If anybody hasn't listened to that, it's a cracking interview. They had Curtis Blades on the show, number three ranked UFC heavyweight. But you took on Aaron. It was in the first round, wasn't it? Uh, I took on Jack in the, in the yeah, first round. Yeah, first round, yeah, that's right. Um, I was chatting to Phil before we came on air, and we were talking. Um, I I would normally fight, depending on, on what it is, I would fight Masters, <laughs> either Masters 1 or Masters 2. I qualify for Masters 2, I'm 36. Um, but just depending on what, like, mm-hmm. if there's anybody in the division or not. Um, so I'd done... Uh, I, I put myself in for adult and that because there's nobody else registered um, and then a couple of masters ones filled up and I decided I would, I would give adult a rattle so there ended up six in the division I think five or six and I ended up with three scraps out of it so yeah. um, Jack was my first one and it was really really interesting because um, I would be heavier than him but dealing with his height so and his grip strength those, those he's lips, got yeah, like a grip of so doom too he, like yeah, he really does have a grip of doom he's six foot seven I yeah think, six and, seven uh, it was real funny because we went out, we both kind of made grips and um, I'm, I'm strong uh, up top and I like uh, kind of being on top, I, or sorry, on feet, I like it because I can just make myself really awkward. Mm-hmm. So my takedowns wouldn't be amazing, but I can make myself awkward to take down on top to the point where I can frustrate somebody to pull guard, um, which it works and doesn't work sometimes. Mm-hmm. Jack, I was trying to break his grip, trying to break his grip, couldn't break his grip, and uh, Ronnie Iron were shouting at me from the corner and they're shouting, you know, I, you know, two hands on one, two hands on one, and I kind of had two hands on one looking at them going, yeah, I'm trying here. And it was actually a point where I had my arms fully locked out, he had a full grip on me, and his arms still bent, it just uh, the height of him. Yeah. And I was kind of looking up at him going, oh, this can't be for real, and I pulled guard on him. So, uh, which he said, we were chatting after it, and uh, he said after, completely shocked him, um, that I pulled guard. And for, for the first six months of kind of my BJJ uh, career, um, I was, I was loving pulling guard, I um, was playing color sleeve, things like that, and until it went wrong, we had a competition and then I hated it, but, so I just kind of went back in, pulled guard, put him in half guard, got a sweep and, and got the choke, but um, and I opened, I have won it, so... Who, was the fa- who were you in the final with, was it Big Capo? Uh, from Queens? Yeah, yeah, yeah another so, guy, nice dude as well. Uh, second guy was a guy from Gracie Barra, and then... Uh, third guy was was the guy Cal. Yeah, and it, it was probably the, the toughest fight of the three to be strong fair. dude he's the boxing our club is a strong strong yeah, man really like, strong and what really surprised me was because I can normally go be quite strong and short of somebody's grip like mm-hmm. Jack stuff I can control where I want somebody to go on the feet and your guy Cal got a grip of me and he actually snapped me down and mm-hmm. I, I hit the ground two knees and was like whoa that doesn't happen and stood back up and was like okay this isn't going to work so the, the two of us kind of Fought the feet for a bit, um, went to the ground, and I actually, I actually pulled him to the ground, and he ended up on top. So I was able to get back to my feet quickly. And normally, the guys I train with call me lazy on bottom. You know, I'm a heavyweight, so it tends to be ultra heavy. It tends to be a case of whoever gets on top uh, yeah. wins the match. It's very much about standing and then on top control. And being under somebody my size is absolutely horrible. Um, but I was able to bounce straight back up. 
whatever way the fight went on then, uh, I ended up with him in full guard and I, I got completely busted with being drilling on my platters in the club and I've, I have massive success in so I got this wee, wee whimper of excitement to me as soon as we pulled in a close guard and uh, I could see Aaron Rennie who'd been working, on me, or working with me on it, he kind of looked over and he was buzzing and he was shouting style points, style points which we were talking about, um, but he kind of stood up to stand out of my guard and I was thinking, at this point I didn't get the hit, hit him with platter, jumped straight back up and uh, ended up good, ended up on top of him. The guys were shouting at me to go for points, go for neon belly. And part of the problem with the, the bigger weight divisions is, and you'll probably find this a lot with MMA as well, is that getting a solid base on top of somebody, be it my size or their size, is really hard. Getting your knees balanced is really hard. So, we talk about Mike all the time. I'm, yeah. I'm, personally, I'm not a fan of Mike. I, I would much rather be in half guard and work from half guard yeah. or yeah. work from side. Yeah. Personally, even from an MMA point of view, I don't particularly yeah. like Mike. I don't know whether that's just because I'm bad at it, mm. but I feel like it's one of the more vulnerable things. I think it's people do really escape so often yeah. as well. I think it becomes one of those things that people are more comfortable trying to escape from. Yeah. As you pointed out, half guard now, I mean, now it becomes yeah, such a huge, position. Yeah, yeah, it's such a huge um, huge thing. Half guard bottom, my absolute favorite person yeah. I'd rather be in it than side control all day. Even if you're the guy on ball, you see the set up a, like a calf crush or a heel hook, yeah. if you're the guy mounted, yeah. if you've got the dexterity for it, it's there every time. 100%, and that, that's the thing, and I find that, so I had, uh, I had Cahill, uh, I had him pinned in a side control, I won all three matches with paper cutter chip, and I had and it. explained to Jack. Jack had never seen that before. Yeah. Um, and he was like, what the fuck was that? And I was like, I know exactly what he's done to you yeah, here. It was, it was, <laughs> it, that's Eddie. Uh, Eddie, it's nicknamed the, the stroke troop. Um, Eddie put it on some guy whenever they were training in Torres and the guy took a stroke. Um, so <laughs> the guy... <laughs> so, so we thought we'd call him the stroke troop. No, no, no. Well, uh, oh. After the NI Open, the, the boys have all renamed the Slim's troop. But oh. um, so I hit <laughs> far, it. Far less threatening. Far less threatening, yeah. But it's... Uh, it's, I had I'd hit it a few times in training, um, and it's not something I drilled or something whatever else, it's just kind of, a, I get on top, um, it was a good position to go for, um, and quite a lot of them, they don't know what's coming, they try and roll away, they put it on tighter, they roll into you, and they, they give you a tighter grip over the arm, and it works really well. So, uh, a great kind of sense with it, but I had Cahill held in it, I could hear him wheezing, to the point where I was like, oh, this is, happy guys, you know, this is dumb, it's over. And that was about 90 seconds into the fight. The first two fights were about 90 seconds. It was like, how we did, same again. And I could feel him, I could hear him wheezing, but I could feel him grip weakening and weakening. And I knew if he had got the slightest burst of energy out, I was losing the choke. So we listened to the corner. They were shouting for me, Neon Belly. So when Neon Belly then went mount, and those who were talking about mount, I don't like it as a position. And he bumped me off, and like, that's how we ended up in close guard. Fall back the ground and ended up getting the same choke on him. And then the second time I got it, I was like, I am not letting this guy out right here, regardless of grips or not. But uh, I had a conversation with a friend last night, and he's loving jiu jitsu, hasn't got the bug for gi, and just can't get the bug for it. Uh, and for me, I was the same the first couple of months I started. Um, it was all about no gi, I just wanted to do no gi, no gi, no gi. And I went kind of full circle now, and I'm completely in love with the game, and I train the gi four or five times a week, and yeah. I'm really able. So um, you're coming up to win at the, the NI Open. Huge win, rocking about with the gold medal. Which, like I said, if, if I won the gold medal, I'd be wearing it right now. So yeah, I think I'd still be wearing it too. Uh, what, what are your aspirations in jiu-jitsu? Yeah. Win, lose, or draw before that competition. I said I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna compete this year. Um, I done last year, so I've been training June, come June. Um, 
I've been training two years and I've done 13 competitions in the last two years. First competition I went into about three months and that's the kind of thing where we're in training at the minute. The guys, there's there's no pressure on anybody to compete. They're, they're absolutely a recreational club. They're not trying to train a fight team. They're not trying to train. Somebody comes and wants to fight MMA and wants to do our Saturday new e class. Absolutely can and we're going to help them. Same way if somebody wants to come along and wants to go all the way fighting the and go into bigger competitions, the guys will help them but it's just a real kind of relaxed like good buzz with what we're doing so there's no pressure on us to compete um, I, I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed it because I didn't like it so I've done my first competition after three months done a, done a no gi comp um, lost uh, pulled the guy took his back took him down twice uh, held him after three and a half minutes just didn't know enough jiu-jitsu but it was at the time I asked about competing and the guy's like you want to compete you know, go compete yeah, there's, there's, there's no pressure uh, I've kind of done 13 odd I think it's 13 cups I've done um Mixed success, times go in, and what's, what I really like about it is that anytime I've lost, I've videos of them all, I can go back and without even having that somebody else to tell me what I've done wrong, I know myself what I've done wrong. Um, I can see I've maybe been lazy when I'm pulling a purple on guard or uh, something else. So, I, what I kind of love doing is I love competing purely for the feedback of mm-hmm. where I'm training because you can train in the gym and you can catch higher belts all the time, you can catch it. It doesn't mean anything. It's not a competition, it doesn't mean anything. In yeah. essence, competition. I know you mean it. It doesn't really mean anything in the in the learning process of jujitsu, but it, it, it means something to the per- person like you competing, and it, you yeah. know, of course, it does. Um, and I think you should. You're probably being a bit self-deprecating there because you've had quite a great deal of success in yeah, some well, of your competitions. Some of the, some of them are good. Um, we had chatted when we were there. I was saying I feel like a bit of a bit of a farce coming on uh, a fight podcast. Um, whatever we were talking about, it, you had said to me about the British. We decided it was me, Raleigh, and a couple of other guys. We're going to go over and do the British. Bit of crack, and um, I had done the NI Open. I won the NI Open, and it was, it was really quite funny because I'd done, a, done the NI Open, um, done it, won it, and then uh, the guys were talking in the club uh, about uh, helping a couple of guys prep for competition. And I was started explaining points, and you know, it's, it's good to have a strategy, go for this, you know, go for a takedown, go side control, go knee on belly, blah, 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 and start to rack up your points. Tell us to focus on that more so than uh, submissions. So I kind of sat and listened to this, and it was like, yeah, okay, this is getting far too confusing me. I'm just going to go and do what i always done. And then I went and fought the following Saturday at the NI Open, and uh, I won. I beat a guy from down south. I'd only won match, um, and I beat him 27 or 28 mil. Um, for me, saying I don't care yeah, about points. points. Just <laughs> now, to be fair, I was trying my absolute heart out to sub the guy. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it. It was that whole, every time I took him out, he kept bumping me off. I was going for Camara, couldn't get it on. Loads of different things. But... He couldn't hold me down, and I was just racking up points on him. So for me, said I didn't care about points, and it wasn't going to be a points jiu-jitsu fighter. I went on, and then still, because I, I, I messaged the girls, it was a combat after, and they're like, no, I think I'm pretty sure it's the highest of the day, if not, you know, it's the highest impressive. we've had, which is good. Um, and that's for me, who doesn't really kind of focus too much on yeah. the points. I think if you do focus a lot on points, you miss a lot of jiu-jitsu. You know, yeah. it passes you by as you're too busy focusing on... Oh, also, to be to your training, then. If yeah. you do these things on psychosomatically, you know, you find yourself in these positions, mm-hmm. it speaks to the level of training that you're getting in there. You're, you know to go into those positions yeah. almost as if you're flowing into them uh, with, without thinking, right, and then side control, I need to transition the knee on belly, slide through the mic, you're just doing it. Yeah. Well, well one of the biggest things that, and I was, uh, the, our club finished uh, an eight week beginners course last night, and I, for not one to sound like a white belt sensei, um, but they paired us off with some of the guys who've just done eight weeks mm-hmm. last night, um, and we done like a positional spar, so we started side control, started on back, started turning, etc., etc. And um, 
uh, Ronan the guy broke down my turtle, took my back, and then I had escaped out of it, and he just kept letting go and giving up. And one of the biggest things that I had learned uh, in the last sort of six, seven months is, uh, which has been massive in my training, is accept when the position's gone, mm. and it's like trying to hold on to something for too long. So, yeah. um, and it's the big thing that if you lose the back, you know, go over yeah. on the mount, and then maybe you're going to be like mount going and readjusting and always standing. Alan's always great for uh, for kind of saying this is like, you know, he said, said to me before the difference in a white belt and a black, black belt is that a black belt's like a two, three moves ahead. They're doing something to cause a reaction, mm. not because they think they're going to get an X, but because they want the outcome to be wires ahead. Yeah. And they're, they're trying to put me into it. So with kind of absolutely everything I'm doing at the minute in training, I'm looking at something, I go, right, okay, if I get this guy and I hit this sweep, I'm not thinking about, okay, will this sweep work? And I think, where will I go after this yeah, sweep? Yeah, where am I going to land? What am I going to do if it goes right? What am I going to do if it, it goes, goes wrong? wrong yeah. And what I always say is, what am I going to do when the most likely thing happens, which is it ends up somewhere in the middle. So you have to have an escape plan yeah. and another attack and something else to get comfortable with. That's why people talk about jiu-jitsu being physical chess. It really yeah. is physical 100%. chess. 100%. Um, a lot of times things end up in a scramble. You, know, you mm-hmm. can do all the work. You can do all the work to get a sweep, and then it ends up in a scramble, and you're, you're back in the exact same yeah. position. Um, with work, I being self-employed and not having a boss, I'm part of a, an entrepreneur's group. Um, and we meet once a quarter in London. Um, it's kind of just keeping me on track for accountability and what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a full day. It's kind of eight to five. You go over. It's kind of flexible. You can come in and out as you go. It's not like a classroom environment. It's to an extent a networking group. But uh, outside of that, I go on the Thursday uh, to the course on the Friday and then come home on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been great. So what happens now is I go to London once a quarter and I'm training with uh, training Jude Samuels, Jim and Glory Scrappers. Oh, brilliant. So, Another uh, based of... Jude's a gem. He's never there. He's always a Bellator, but I train with uh, one of his black belts, a guy called Max Bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I train with Max. Typically, I'll do a private with Max and then I'll, I'll stay on and do a class. Um, and that's really good for me to, because I think like, London's insane. You can get a class and maybe twelve black belts in it. You know, it's it's just um, such a mass population. Um, so I go over a train there, and then the last time I was there as well, I was training in uh, Hodgers. Oh, um, brilliant! Even better. It's 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 phenomenal, and it's I'm just getting doing a, either a fundamentals or an advanced, whatever kind of fits my schedule and what I'm doing. And the last time we were there, three uh, BJJ picked up a couple of injuries and uh, tore ligaments in my ankles. My ankles aren't great. Went down there doing heel hooks and was like, "Oh, oh great. great! This is going to be wonderful." Wonderful. Um, but done the session. Uh, I joked that I skipped the warm up whenever I'm training here more often than not. I do, but uh, we kind of went to Hodgers. Didn't want to be there for class. Didn't want to skip the warm up. Done it and then. Uh, the typical Gracie warm-up was busted after it. And um, Roger was there, he was training himself. Mm-hmm. It was real funny because he's just down the back, stuck a timer on, and he was just, their new facility is phenomenal. Um, they have three different sort of class sections, three different mat areas, and he was just going on the mats and picking different belts and telling them to come and roll with them for a round. Um, and that's the big thing. For somebody outside of Jiu-Jitsu, I was trying to explain it to it. I was like, it's equivalent if you landed down the enough uh, driving range and Tiger Woods offering to improve your shots. Or, gen- or 10 5 Cyber Ronaldo. Yeah. That's what that is. And, and, and that's, that, for me, is, is Jiu-Jitsu. It's completely mm-hmm. phenomenal. Um, just some of the opportunities you get to do, what you get to do, and who you get to mm-hmm. train with, yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. That, for me, is a, is a bit of a... I've been completely obsessed by it over the last two years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that whole kind of fanboy mentality like my wife there's a picture up in her house she got me last year and it's it's two wee stick men and it's like uh, jiu jitsu and she's like don't touch me um, and it's it's that whole thing like I had the kids started that and I'm fully, fully aware that I became completely obsessed by it and we talk about it every day in our house and whatever else but 
Um, that and we were talking about the camaraderie of running, the camaraderie of Jiu Jitsu is just it is brilliant. Uh, but as you said, sad, sadly, what I find with Jiu Jitsu as well is it becomes very fractious. Lots there are, yeah, yeah. And, and that is what you discussed about, we all talked about it right at the start of the show. Um, that's what fractures clubs, and then you have offshoots in different places, and then I think that dilutes Jiu Jitsu, unfortunately, because you're maybe sometimes getting a, a lesser version. You're definitely not getting a lesser version where you are because of the black belts you're discussing there, Betty, Connor, Alan. Kieran, Kieran of all, freak of all freaks as well. Um, but he wears his black belt to the museum every day. I bet he does, actually. <laughs> yeah. But that, the thing is, I mean, like myself and a half of the other guys are constantly asking about getting a facility. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I know what they're paying in the, in the leisure centre per hour and what they're paying per month. And it's nuts. It, not only would it pay rent on a facility, it would pay their electric, their rates and yeah. something else because they're paying for the hour. That's um, something there for those guys that really should be doing that now because they, it is becoming so popular. They don't have an interest. And that's, I think, to be honest with you, as much as I want them to do their own space mm-hmm. and their own club, um, it, it's... None of them want that responsibility mm-hmm. and all that. I had a chat with Kieran about it at Christmas. We done the, the Christmas party in the Sims, and Kieran had said that he teaches two fundamental classes a week. He teaches one advanced class, and he gets to partake in a class that Eddie coaches. Yeah. Um, and he, he enjoys it. So he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want it to become a job. Yeah. Um, and any of the guys there, you know, they can open their own club or do it, but. At the minute, I think they're just happy to train and they want yeah. to train jiu-jitsu and, and that's what they're doing. Yeah. They're getting for the love they enjoy the love yeah. and enjoyment of the sport and passing on knowledge, actually sort of paying things back to others. When you mention, when you mention the, the level of camaraderie, I think, in my experience, being in and around sort of jiu-jitsu clubs, it goes one way or the other. It's either a community or it can drift into a dangerous territory of almost being cult-like. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think drink, that, drink and drink on the kill Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I think it, I mean, it's a little touch of Waco about some jiu-jitsu oh, clubs. Okay, and, yeah, it, yes. and it could be dangerous where it becomes very secular and that's where stuff becomes fractious and that's where this element of fixiness comes about. Well, it, it's even as an example, uh, I'm a bit of a, a, bit of a gym whore and it's with me being busy <laughs> and uh, work and everything else. Uh, Newground, the guys down at Newground, which is Simon, Marty and Reedy, they were formerly SPT. SPT guys, yeah. There was that bit of a fracture. They have opened Newground, which is... It's a uh, Union Street in Belfast, isn't it? Phenomenal space. Uh, it's, it's, you could draw a hipster in a, in a, in a dictionary of photographs, that would be it. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a really nice space, clean, white, fans, grey mats. But the guys are all great, they're all willing to help anybody. And I know Simon from being a, he was a nightclub photographer or whatever I was DJing. Um, don't even know how I know Reedy and Marty I know from, from back in SPG. The vibe there is great. They run a comp class on the Wednesday night that's open to anybody who wants to compete mm-hmm. from any gym. It's completely free. I'm all for it. A cross yeah. cross, especially on this island. I think you need to cross train. You need to be as well. It's so small, as you rightly pointed out. If you don't do that, you're losing out. Yeah. Those guys have great knowledge. You're, you're getting, as you said, free, a free comp class, seriously. Well, I, I, had a, I had a chat with Kieran and basically said to him that uh, I wanted to nip down to it. And I could down to Forge the other time on a, on a Friday night and um, mm-hmm. down beards but uh, do it or down with Damien sometimes on a Friday lunchtime and I said to Kieran more kind of out of courtesy to him than anything else because he's my, my primary coach and uh, it's Kieran Connor takes us most nights of the week and I said to him and Kieran kind of shrugged his shoulders and was like are you enjoying it? I was like yeah he goes I'm going to train wherever you want. Go enjoy yourself. Um, and it, it's, I really That's like that. Yeah, yeah. Kieran's a brilliant guy. Yeah. He's also an absolute fucking nightmare. No, he's an asshole. <laughs> 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 We've had guys come down to IFS to do a bit of training and we're kind of like all oh, we'll take a picture at the end and there's oh no 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 my coach is oh, not here. We, we get that yeah. sort of stuff. You know? we, we, the guys very rarely do photographs but we get people coming up and training from other clubs not even league clubs 
uh, who, uh, Chris Brown, who, um, <laughs> who don't want to be in photographs or who can't be in photographs. And, you know, it's it's sad too. And I, yeah, I mean, it is. I'm not, it's not just the, sad, it's fucking pathetic. Not getting into any of the politics of the river. I know Graham and Graham's oh, yeah. person and Road as well, and I know Johnny and mm-hmm. Kevin. I, I'm not, I don't mean, I don't mean, I'm not picking on any club in any way, but I just think it's pathetic across the board for any in general, club. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just any club. You know? I have friends at training clubs, and it's like, they'll, you know, I, as I said, I became obsessed, and I have friends that are in jiu-jitsu, and friends that came to jiu-jitsu, and, you know, guys I'll meet in a competition, and I'll say, let me come up and get a roll with us, come mm-hmm. up to our open, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all the guys from SBT come up and dojo storm was last year, and Connor Cullen choked the life out of me. I apparently used to bully him, when, he's a blue belt in SBG, I apparently used to bully him whenever we were younger. Uh, he lived in the same street he's as me. He's obviously not forgotten. So, no, he, he didn't forget. He came up and uh, triangled me from Mount about 10 times. And then I know I was the subject of a few group chats that night because I got the messages forwarded to me. So, uh, he, he exercised a few demons he, on he, night, he, he, he got his own back. But <laughs> there's, there's guys that I meet in competitions, guys, different things. And all I want to do is train. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I say to them, you know, I'll come up, you know, come up and do our matter mm-hmm. whatever. I wouldn't think twice about going to the other gym. Yeah, yeah. And uh, guys have come up and done it, and then they're like, oh yeah, I got, uh, got a bit of grief for uh, being up with years and you know, stuff like that. Yeah. 100%. And that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to get through, and it's, it's that whole kind of, like, it's an insecurity thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an insecurity thing. But they'll, that they'll leave you. Know, you. It's, like, it's like a very jealous thing. It's like a jealous relationship, you know, when you're like 14 or something like that. Well, that mentality, that, if that's the mentality of a coach, there's a trickle-down effect of that, yeah. and that's like the mentality of, it's sad of the student, and it breeds that insular yes. kind of ethos. It's it's it breeds an elitist mentality. Yes, yeah. as you say, that is that trickle effect. And if those guys and girls, if they're producing other coaches, that's how they're going to act. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they might be a worse version. Imagine them being worse than that, and a trickle-down effect of being the next person being worse. Bullshit. Anybody gets on it, it's a twat. We, we, we talked at nausea about martial arts and, and jiu-jitsu. Well, fun fact before I forget about it, the last time you had Johnny on you were talking about the illustrious Mr. Paddy Mooney. Yes. I know I know Paddy because through DJing, I used to DJ at Cage Wars. One of one of uh, Lars, one of Lars greatest experts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're from there, aren't you? I don't think that's a shit one. <laughs> uh, Ladies and gentlemen, but, that's everything from not another fight cast. But um, <laughs> It's the only place uh, I think in the in the world McDonald's has closed the store because of poor performance. Uh, I mean, they didn't pay protection. But like, yeah, anyway, it's, it's, it's not a drive through Chinese or something, but that's <laughs> uh, actually Bats, is it? Oh, there we go. But uh, no, I know Patty through, through it as well because I was kind of listening to a couple mm-hmm. of podcasts before I came on and. I DJ at uh, Cage Wars and a load of guys were fighting you, Alan Kling, Chris Stringer, right, Daniel yeah. Apple, all those kind of guys and, and sort of think of back to it. And then uh, I went over and DJ for uh, just a bit of fun. I was DJing for them and they had the, the show over in Brayhead Arena. Um, and I was the oh, over yes, yeah. Me, yeah. So I was, was that the first case event? No, no the first one was, was in Portsmouth. Portsmouth, yeah, Portsmouth yeah. But I went over to DJ for them. We've done a couple in the King's Hall and I went over and uh, we were all down at the airport. Me, all the fighters, all their friends and pieces to check in went and somebody had spelled my name wrong in the cooking and they wouldn't change it. Don't know what had happened, mm-hmm. something had been done, all of that. So had to get on the phone sort of got uh, got a hold of somebody and I knew the audio guys were going over mm-hmm. the guys who do the double sound the night for the guys at the time of the production um, were friends of mine. He's like look go meet them. They're getting on the boat, jump in the lorry with them, come on over. I was like, yeah okay cool. Went, missed them, they got the boat. So I was trying to remember this the other day before coming on. I got a flight to somewhere else and ended up getting a black taxi. It was like 700 quid. Oh, uh, and I remember getting up Brayhead Arena. They, they've done the whole bits and pieces. It was after the fights. Everybody got up to get paid. And Chris, one of Paddy's business partners, was sitting at the table, dishing out all the money. And I remember getting up with this receipt. And it was my receipt for DJ. <laughs> and he handed me it. And then I handed him a receipt for a taxi. And he's like, 
no, no chance. Uh, I was like, speak the party. And he's like, no, you speak the party and have me the receipt back. Um, and it was real funny. The guy dropped me off in a taxi, went to Brighton Arena, and the taxi driver actually shafted me. I had a suitcase with me uh, at the time with a, a bag with a laptop, loads of CDs and different bits and pieces. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, it's just in there. And he dropped me off at the shopping center, which was like 1.2 miles away. Oh, and I was completely college. <laughs> I was literally walking through trying to find this. But uh, a lot of good times were with Cage Warriors as well. Mm-hmm. And then the thing I was looking for before the start was, um, Shannon being about this last night, um, we obviously McGregor, massive, massive. Uh, yeah, exactly. Let me say his name three times. I'm just trying to get your plugs in your podcast. You can tag him now in the text. Oh, hashtag right. McGregor. So, uh, hashtag McGregor. Um, John Cavan uh, is, I think he's engaged to a girl called Orla Hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he yeah. um, yeah. used to work for me in Slims whenever we opened. So I know Orla from nightclubs and stuff. She used to work at Reelance too? Yeah, she worked at Reelance. So I did in Reelance. So I know Orla. Um, Orla had left us about six months and um, was down in Dublin working in the gym for Jill. And I sent her a text message. I was trying to find a text message there. Uh, I found it a few months ago. And uh, I had texted Orla and was like, uh, knew the way McGregor's into all his kind of uh, touch blood stuff at the minute. Mm-hmm. Tell him to check this guy out. And I sent her a link to Ido Portal, who McGregor then went oh, on the train with about three or four weeks later. So that's your fault? That's it? my fault. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm to blame for that. Um, so you can definitely tag him in that. But um, as we thought the one history, yeah, you're, you're responsible for that. I'm claiming, so, I'm claiming that you play a part in one of the greatest MMA putdowns ever. Yeah. <laughs> you're playing the touch <laughs> button. Well, Dorgan Report. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. You can claim we part of that. Yeah. So no, I was just trying to think of a couple of things today of actual relevance uh, mm-hmm. in terms of MMA or user MMA focused. Well, when, actually, uh, in general, what we fine. are, well, it's combat sports and fitness related. So that's why I said like you cross that barrier on on like two or three different. Ways you know you obviously took part in a big fitness journey. I did the fucking term journey. You've gone on about that before, um, but you've gone um, taking your own fitness, and then you have built that into jiu-jitsu and yeah. you've also then used your knowledge surrounding that to create a very very successful business. That is, in my opinion, still part of the fitness industry because obviously it's oh, yeah, to do that nutrition, which is the most it's the yeah. most important bit. Um, even like we we opened, we were open eight years in July. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember actually going to the opening, like that uh, Vancouver. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, do indeed. Um, we photographed something on the wall. Actually, I must go back and see if you're in there. And there's a ton on there, but it was we opened and it's right idea at the right time. It was complete mayhem. Uh, we pulled the shutters open and then closed them after 45 minutes because we were queued around the corner mm-hmm. and everything. I kind of had this idea, yeah, it's grand. You know, I knew how to make all the drinks in my head. I was like, yeah, I'll teach the staff. Just as people come in and order one, I'll show you how to make them. And it just, it was fun. We'd done that three, four times. No matter how many times we thought we were ready, the demand was just insane. And we were going to do it. Um, quite a, a checkered past in terms of business I built it up to where we had nine sites with five of them mm-hmm. restaurants and then we had four kind of gym kiosks yeah. um, and I was prized for a lot of people don't know this and Belfast Telegraph very nicely wrote an article about me and put my uh, my face in the front of it but that's it's that whole kind of a chat just depending on who you chat to about it it's kind of lift and sort dive and sort they were very very good to me whatever we were promoting the restaurant coming up and mm-hmm. the coverage and stuff but then as soon as I had a wobble they very rarely put me from it. oh yeah they're going to stick a boot in you as soon as I can uh, they absolutely 100% they, yeah. they put they ran the story on Saturday mm-hmm. and uh, I had this right okay we knew it was coming they'd formally asked me to comment different bits and pieces and uh, they ran with half a story uh, didn't run with the whole thing but it, they posted it on a Saturday 
um, whatever happened in Belfast on the Saturday, it was dead, tumbleweeds, mm-hmm. and they posted it on Facebook and it had like 13 likes or 13 interactions, completely fell, nobody, mm-hmm. nobody, nobody paid any attention to it whatsoever, and I was like, right, okay. Uh, and then a week later, they ran with the exact same story again. I put it on the front cover, so it was a story inside, yeah. and, then, and they did it again on the second time. I got the traction that they wanted, but um, that's uh, the, the, the flip side of that was that that happened in February. In October, I had an offer from a crowd in London for four point seven million for thirty five percent of the business, and that's what I'd spent the kind of last two years Wonderful. working to. Oh, phenomenal! But what had happened was then I had to make a decision where. Mm-hmm. Uh, the business had changed and if I had went ahead with it I would have ended up owning absolutely none of it um, or we made the position our decision and we restructured and I ended up uh, we were in the car two restaurants sort of and yeah. took a bit of investment then and we able to build it back up and how important is it for you to have that because you were saying if, if you had sold that percentage of the business you would have lost an element of control how important is it for you to not it wasn't about you know I joke all the time and Loaded some of my staff and all this and this new couple and said it was like everything's for sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I'd have thought of the had you know four point seven million quid in the bank and that would be me, I would have rolled the dice with not a problem. Yeah. Did you um, open something else comfortably? I mean, that's that generation of change life changing money. It wasn't that. They they were investing based on the product that I was selling them and they, they were a hedge fund from London that they managed like eleven billion in assets. Mm-hmm. So had I sold them it, uh, I've had sold in the business that hadn't went the way that I was telling them that this is how the business performs. That it, it spent the next ten years drilling me through legals and through everything else. So uh, I had a very honest conversation with them. They still wanted to invest, and I told them I needed a couple of months, get my head around things, see where we were going. And the more and more I started to look at it, uh, the business I started to go back and look onto the monitor of it because I was the Velvet Telegraph put me and said I took my half ball. I was so focused on that expansion for two years that I hadn't looked at the day to day business. And, uh, it was a bit of a mindset house and everything that I thought was kind of how the business was run was absolutely not. I became so disconnected from the business. So um, it's, it's not even from a, from a uh, to answer your question, it's not from a control perspective. Uh-huh. Um, somebody wanted to come in and take half of it now and take half of the responsibility and carry out a problem. At the time I had to look at it, I had 153 staff and to me I had a, personally, you know, it's the, the old saying, eaters eat leaders eat last. I had a, a duty of care to make sure that they're able to pay their bills because I'm responsible for them. Uh, paying the car payments, paying the mortgage, paying the cost, and other things. So I had to look at it from their perspective, um, and I did it. And I rolled the dice. We went. We tried to do the, the restructuring. We were doing. We tried to go and renegotiate leases and do all those different bits and pieces. The Belfast Telegraph didn't do me any favors. We went from 153 staff. I didn't have to make one single redundancy, and we went to like 42 within the, within the space of two weeks. Um, and the problem was, well, with what we had left in the business, those 42 staff weren't even enough to service the needs of the business. So. Uh, it, it was a very, very difficult kind of three to six months. Mm-hmm. The worst of it was we didn't have the choice of the 43 staff we had, so it wasn't my 43 best yeah. staff instead. I lost a lot of really good people in that, that you know, just, I, I use the expression now, and I don't know what I would have done myself if I had been in their shoes. It was like rats jumping on the ship. A lot of people who just didn't understand it, as far as everybody was concerned, I was bankrupt. Mm-hmm. I wasn't bankrupt, I didn't go bankrupt, but they just didn't understand it. I was like, oh, that's how it looked. And, uh, so I lost a lot of people, people that had worked for me, you know, for maybe four or five years that I didn't want to lose. So that, that was kind of very difficult. And that's probably now why I've been so into my training. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to bother about the, you know, kind of uh, depression, anxiety and all those things. I've definitely none of those. But for me, training is an escape. And how I try and sell, you know, mm-hmm. get people to drink with Kool-Aid in terms of BJJ, 
and it's a massive stress reliever for me because it's really hard to think about anything else when somebody's trying to choke you. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what exactly what I talked about Donald at the start about a cathartic experience. If you lose your focus, you start to realize there's a whole of other things going on around you, and that's when you start your performance dips. And no more, as you say, when somebody's strangling you, you're like, oh fuck, you know, did I put that stuff in the till by then it's too late. Yeah, you know, for me, like, uh, did I put that stock order right? Oh fuck. <laughs> Three four months ago, I I come off the mats to to text messages that if I'd have got maybe a year and a half or two years ago, I'd have been in the car and just straight down to meet the person, straight down to work, straight down to whatever. I got a text message and fuck my phone back in my bag and I got to go back and roll and then. Went home, sat, had a shower, had my dinner, sat down, reread the message, and yeah, I completely, you know, it's that kind of thing. Like, don't answer straight away, and um, things still didn't pan out absolutely perfect for the business. But even kind of my approach and um, how I handle it, how I handle different things, and, you know, like, you're always. I didn't want to go training there on Sunday morning, and I was sitting in kind of place with a wee man on Sunday morning, and uh, it was Kate said to me, "Just like get up and get your whole training." I was like, "No, I really I don't want to go training." She's like, "Get up and go to training," and that's you know. Training at the minute is so convenient for me. It's, I have a gym at home. Uh, we train a couple of days a week at home. Uh, me and a few mates, S&C kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have no choice because there's two uh, lads show up at my house at 6 o'clock in the morning that I've quit. So I can't really not get up because they're yeah. in the driveway, um, which has been a real good motivator. And then uh, with uh, not and PG Day Scripts just around the corner for me. So mm-hmm. this class starts at 7. I normally rock out of it. 10 past 7 just after the warm up just <laughs> sitting leave. outside in the car yeah. that's no no I don't even need to leave the house at 7 and uh-huh. I'm there for just after the warm up but that's been really good for me to train and one of the biggest things and through all the things to do with business and everything else and even relationships and different things Kate listens to me off the house don't even want to listen to this but uh, one, one of the biggest things has been that kind of that release from real life and I yeah. see trying to say somebody even somebody that's still BJJ, combat sports, absolutely are not for everybody. Anybody can no. go do a exercise class, as I said about Frankie's, stand and hit pads, and that's one thing. Uh, Kieran talked about this last night. We've done an eight-week beginners course. There was like 15 signed up, and there's six or seven who have been training regularly. Mm-hmm. The rest, my older brother included, uh, he went to one and then worked up and went and didn't come back and mm-hmm. things. It's so easy to pick up injuries. It's oh, I've, God, yeah. I've, I've, I've poor ligaments in the foot. I've injured the cuff. Um, couple of broken toes, different bits and pieces and like there's, there's more days where like I have black eyes than I don't. Um but at the minute I've just kind of found it and really, really like it. Mm-hmm. I know other people that have came and tried it and I've got them to come and try it and they're like, what are you doing? Like are you yeah, what you this? Why are we, why would you want this? You're getting somebody else to throttle you and you're enjoying it, you're yeah. smiling as you're passing out. It's great crack. Show me someone that claims to do combat sports mm-hmm. and doesn't have an injury and I'll show you somebody's having an affair. Oh I like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I suppose that's great actually. Uh, I know there's, I mean, there's a lot of guys. There's, there's a guy we train with. He kind of started at the same time as me, and uh, he's out at the middle with a knee injury. He's trying to come back two or three times. It's probably understandable a bit too soon. And, but then again, it's like that's one of the, the great things about PJJ. Like, short guys can do it. Fat guys yeah, can do it. Yeah, it is a martial art you know, for everybody. It is a martial art. You can work through. Mm-hmm. Like I done the the worlds in Vegas mm-hmm. in August. There, uh, done the World Masters. Didn't go to Guam. Um, the whole time looking at the registrations, there's only one guy registered in the division. So I kind of worked my whole game plan towards this one guy, registered last minute, showed it about 10 other people. Uh, didn't work yeah. out. Ended up fighting this guy from Mexico, couldn't speak a word of English, was about two feet shorter than me, uh, about three feet wider, and I had no stuff. Yeah, completely, I had no game plan for him. Followed him for five minutes. I ended up trying to do, I was hitting this, I kind of call it like a bin man sweep where uh, you reach your hand over the back, you get the back of the belt, you flew yeah. over your head. I had tried it, we, we trained the guy, uh, our Jimmy's big laughing guy. 
weighs with 24 stone and I can throw him over my shoulder like he weighs nothing and I've headed it over time swarming him so I was like right this is the game plan this is what I'm going to do tried the same thing in Vegas one fight and the, the one thing I was happy about with my fight in Vegas was I absolutely went balls to the wall and I fought all out for five yeah, minutes and you can't and come away saying I should have tried this yeah I, I really did Damien from SPG was over here that's right he was talking to him before that Damien down my corner and uh I was in a real good place getting into Vegas, went down, like, no kind of nerves and, and that kind of stuff. Went down and started the match and I tried the same shitty sweep. We told him never allowed to do it again and pulled the same guy on top of me three times and landed on top of me. I fought out three times, get up, got a single leg, get back. And uh, the third time I came out, I just ran out of time uh, whenever I got back up. I just had no luck with him. And he, so he, the only points that he scored were for me. Pulling him down the top, maybe me landing. Also, oh, from the mistakes you made. From the mistakes I made, but he had something offensive. Watching that back, I, I can really see what it done. Like, the photograph of me landing the, the kind of warm up area after, completely gassed. And, like, I'd send a video to Kieran, and before Kieran could even send me back what I'd done wrong, I'd text him and knew what I'd done wrong. And he's like, he then sent me back a video of mine from the the Irish, the IBJJF, that I doubled last year. And he was like, just watch the two videos and you'll see the difference in yourself. Both matches I lost, but the difference in me competing in Vegas and me competing in, in Ireland was like completely different. And that's back to kind of why I compete and why I like to do it. Yeah. So, it's that constant uh, level of improvement. 100%. And it's, the, it's the feedback it gives you mm-hmm. because you can train in the gym. There's guys I train with. There's a group of us that kind of train in the WhatsApp group, uh, White Belt Fight Club. We all go in on Wednesday night and try and kill each other in the open map when there's nobody watching. But we're all we're all at a really good level. We're all at a really good level in our own way. Yeah. Um, some of the guys are completely you know, far better at different things and you know, I try iron bars and then six foot away from somebody, it's not my game, but some of the other guys Paul that I mentioned earlier be true with Paul can hit iron bars from anywhere. Yeah. Um we're all kind of that level. So but rolling with them guys week in, week out, you kinda of know where they're going, you know what they're doing, you can work out a bit of a game plan, you catch them, you know anything you're doing. Yeah. The thing with competition is the feedback it gives you, nobody's letting you do anything. No. And, it is, it is ridiculously honest and it lets you know as a marker where you're at. I'm not saying it's a be all and end all because you quite lose a, you lose a comp. It's, it's not the worst thing No, in the no, world. it's not the worst thing in the world but we talked earlier on it. It means something as a marker for where you are in One your option. practice. Um, you know, like every like every sort of competition, you we talked about running right at the start, and I always use running and combat sports as a very easy sort of mix together. It's the two sports that you can see if somebody's put in work or not. You can bluff for a couple of seconds but after a while you can sooner or later you'll go no a guy or girl hasn't trained property for this because A they're fucking shit or B they're blowing out their ass and they can't suffer the pace anymore yeah well the big, <laughs> the big thing for me is like um, I work full time with with three or four physical locations um, we have about 80 staff I have a multitude of things going yeah. on I have a relationship with the team I have two kids we have you know we have hockey we have dancing we have Jiu-Jitsu, all the different kind of mm-hmm. mother dad things we have to do and kid has to get our you know our training in as well and stuff. So on a weekly basis I juggle quite a lot. Uh, my my own work on a day-to-day basis isn't physically demanding, I spend most of it. You know, it's mentally demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing for me is and the thing for me with competition, I can look back at all my competitions and I'm really not an analytical person, but I can look back and watch the videos of me competing mm-hmm. and I can look back at my preparation for each of them and the competitions that I have, not, not even necessarily one, but the ones that I've performed in better in, there's nobody to get through the perfect record, but the ones that I've done better in are the ones that I've taken more seriously. So there's a, there's a guy called Darren McClendy from where I'm in and I've fought him three times, uh, twice fought him, and both good scraps, I won both of them. Um, 
Trident was on there and we were at a wedding the night before and I was chatting to Kieran. I was like, oh, what do I do? But Mr. Registration, blah, 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 blah. He's like, oh, I'll get you in now. So Kieran sent a message to the boys and they stuck me in and I ended up in against Darren. Um, went in to the face him, got grips, went to pull, and uh, anybody that's listening can't see him, maybe got a, a color pull, went to pull him, couldn't, couldn't break him down. And I was like, what the fuck? I was at a wedding the night before at one o'clock. And... <laughs> Uh, I have my No, I, I don't drink. Uh, but I just, I hadn't had a good night's sleep. I hadn't kind of went through that prep that I've got myself into. You know, salt bath, nice dinner, and uh, end up bed early, get up to the competition the next day. And I just hadn't done that. And I went into the competition and went to, went to pull the collar, and he threw me about like a ragdoll and smashed me for five minutes. Um, he, whatever way, he landed on me in seconds, so broke my nose. And I, uh, I couldn't breathe. Out of pure panic, I literally bench pressed them off me in a match. Got on top and got a grip of his collar. And I'm mad about it. Was get the choke on. They reset us. And as I got it on, there was like 20 seconds left. Couldn't get the choke. Uh, and they were going to put us out again. I was sitting at the side when, my, when it was in. I was like, no, guys, I'm done. It's the first time I tend to quit in a match. But the difference in that in terms of preparation, I know myself. Looking back, win, lose, or draw in terms of performances and what I've done. The NI Open there, I kind of done, not a, not a fight camp, but took sort of decided I was going to compete 10, 12 weeks out. Started to really look after my nutrition. We were training three, four times a week at SNC. I was literally going to BJJ five times a week. Wasn't listening to any other shine. And I was treating every class as a kind of a contrast. And it was where we were doing 15, 16 minute rounds at, uh, at Open Mat. And like 15, 16 minute rounds is standing as well to it. And it's literally, so if I get taken down and I get put in a shit position, I have to work out of it. Yeah. Uh, if I take somebody down, it's reset me going again, um, which is horrible. And it, kind of my training, what I've really adapted it to do is that. Uh, I'm working from shit positions because mm. I know if I get on top, I'm happy enough. It's about managing. Yeah, but it's about managing the positions where you can't get out of yeah, that. Or so you're, like, you're, it's like positional sparring a lot of the time. I'm, I like, I'll always put myself in the worst position. Yeah. I'll always put myself in the second control. I'll always put myself in the guard. I'll always start in the worst position because I would rather train to get out of there. And that for me was the NI Open was a big, big thing. I put a load of prep in there in mm. terms of just watching things, right? I wasn't like I, I joke calling a fight camp, like whenever you take what a professional MMA fitter does, mm. but I kind of had that snippet. I started getting physio regularly, I was doing infrared, so I was doing different bits and pieces. Just taking care of yourself, how just, you should do. Yeah, and but that came out massively for me. Mm. Like, aside from uh, three fights, three wins, really happy with my mm. performance. The biggest thing which was different for me was, was my energy and my cardio. Yeah. Um, like the most I had in a competition before, I think, was two fights in one day. Um, and the, the big difference is like, I could have went on after, yeah. after my third fight. I could have done more fights. And it's, that, for me, even as, as a hobbyist, mm-hmm. um, to do it has, has been massive. And it's just given me that kind of wee bit of an insight into what a lot of professional mm-hmm. fighters do. With the restaurant, we, we sponsor quite a few... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, professional athletes we've, with the name of court we've John Colgan we've Jonathan Ray uh, we're loads yeah. of different people on I see this uh, like even doing that as a bit of a snippet it kind of makes it a wee bit more appreciative of, of mm-hmm. what those guys do on a, a full time level I get that uh, I know Leah does and I think Joe's full time now but even like the, the Jonathan Ray what he does outside of he's friending somebody like him though but that's scary, it like, he, that, something like Jonathan Ray anybody doesn't know he is world superbike champion and possibly that one of the most dangerous sports on planet earth if we believe it's a planet um, he is literally millimetres away it's from flat, death flat. it could be flat um, he's millimetres away from death at 200 miles an hour sometimes yeah. you know so something uh, like him it's a, it's a different level of terror altogether it, it's insane and how that relationship came about was uh, the guy that he's fallen in with to do a bit of S&C is a guy who used to be a Rugby who we do a lot of work yeah. with and uh, kind of fell in and 
it's real funny. Like I was joking this morning. He follows four hundred eighty people on Instagram, and he followed me the other day. And I was like, hey, um, <laughs> but it's like we're doing we're doing food from at the minute. Mm-hmm. He's no real nutrition. Because he goes away, travels, and just gets the food. Travels. There's yeah. a guy you'll know as well, uh, Scully. Tony. Uh, oh no, 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 no Joe. Is it no? Uh, what do you call the guy? Pete. This is really bad. That's, that's, that's terrible. Let's not, not tag him. Uh, no. I'm going to get his name right now. We're doing, uh, we're doing nutrition for him. It's a marathon um, runner. Yeah. yeah Sponsored by Amber. Yeah. Uh, Stephen's coming. Stephen. Um, but he's eating like three meat plants. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been a great advocate for as well in terms of what he's doing. We're, we're trying to reach inside the box. We don't meet plants for two or three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we stopped them because from a business perspective, we couldn't work out where we were, weren't making money. Yeah. And we knew we were making money, we just didn't know where we were making it, and we didn't have the controls in place to do that. Um, so we stopped it. We started it again about a year ago, and we just took a completely different approach to it, so much more seriously. It's not more competitors in the market now. Um, and we put a lot of athletes on, and the majority of them, not all of them, can afford to pay for the food that they're doing. We don't, we support them. Like, I'm not turning around and asking John Ray for 45 per week for his two meals. He's talking to us, he's done a post today, which was phenomenal, and he said himself, he openly approached us. Um, it did told 300,000 people about it like that, that that's really is, nice, is, so. is, is massive um, and that kind of that feedback as well because we're getting really honest feedback on it as well mm-hmm. because you know okay we're giving him a set of beans free a week you know infants or blah 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 he's under no contract nothing else yeah. doesn't have to, to say that he likes them they're working or whatever else yeah. the feedback that we get from him and from his SSC coaches and the guys are doing his nutrition and doing whatever and to put it in perspective, we were chatting to him about what we could or couldn't do. And he's like, look, I'm fairly well tied up here with Kawasaki and Monster. And, you know, I literally can't take a piss without them. Uh, okay. The the real fun thing about it is that he's come back to us. He's like, 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 he's posting pictures of us with Kawasaki, you know, with the means sitting on a motorbike and everything else. And they're 100% behind it because they, they know the difference in what it's making and his performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that for a feedback thing for us is... is can't, we can't pay for that sort of stuff. Like we're, we're probably coming up to an hour and a half. Close to an hour and a half. Cut it down to about 10 minutes. Just no mention the McGregor thing. Just McGregor four times. McGregor, McGregor, McGregor. I wanted to get your opinion on, on one thing. This is something that I've noticed about Slim's Kitchen. Yeah, we live in an era where there's so many nutritional fads and so many diet fads. A hallmark that I've seen in most of Slim's Kitchen is it's about sustainability. It's not just about doing this diet three weeks, losing weight. It's about eating sustainable good food consistently. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is like I'm I'm back training. I'm probably the lightest I've been in about four years, and I'm not in any kind of great shape. Um, I've, I kind of yo-yo with my dad, and I go and take some drops. We talk about the stress of business, the stress of training, and uh, whatever else. The, the thing with students is we, we don't pigeonhole ourselves because. Uh, Tony and Jens love them both the both friends of mine they kind of try and push a bit of education on with, with what they're doing as well um, and it's, you know take this and it'll make your deck harder that's one for you Tony uh, take this and it'll blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and what exactly is that yeah. I'm just asking for a couple of mates of mine not uh, for me he lied it didn't work no but with what we do we, we're different there's crossover in customers and then we're both healthy uh, healthy restaurants we're both healthy what we do is there's an option there and you have to be kind of educated newsflash and I've never once said it is not absolutely everything that we sell is healthy and we don't try and sell it as healthy um, and Phil Graham who's a friend of mine uh, big rubber head used to was Mr. Universe at uh, 121 yeah. bodybuilding and, uh, 
whatever else, Phil, uh, whatever Phil was prepping for one of his shows, uh, many, many years ago, and it's an analogy that I used all the time, Phil was able to come in, eat a whole cooked chicken, which was char grilled, eat plain boiled potatoes, no salt or anything, eat veg, and Claire, who's not in their fitness, was at the time, was able to sit in a cheeseburger and fries. Um, and that's one of the biggest things, and where it came about was, there used to be a place in this room called Willow Puddle, uh, which was like a, a rotisserie chicken place. The girl Ruth Jones, uh, used to be on it as a friend of mine. It was great. There's not a restaurant in the world, and I'm not doing myself in business here, there isn't a restaurant in the world that you can't go into in order to eat your vegetables. So you can eat healthy, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not saying I'm about healthy, all different diets, etc. But there's not a restaurant in the world you can't go into and order something. But it's just about making it more convenient, about making it easier. Like, I find, whenever I really get into training, I just get into a generic cafe and order an egg white omelette, and they were looking at me, like, literally, like, I have four heads. So all we've done is we've assembled here, absolutely not going to avoid them when any mix and start for the woods. And, you know, people leave us TripAdvisor, we usually think they're our feelings, going, oh, it's just free that I could cook at home. And it's like, well, no shit, sure. Um, high five. But it's the whole point is... It's accessibility. It's yeah. accessibility, it's convenience. Did you say, for the head, sustainability? Yeah. yeah, and one of the biggest things is, and we had this conversation this morning, our our menu's ginormous and I want to cut it down but there's no two people coming in and eat the same thing um, you know somebody comes are in are coming in for the same reasons yeah 100% we've got such a large spectrum of people where we are in Lisburn Road we get a load of people in that are in from the cancer centre in Lisburn Road because they've just had chemo they can't eat they know they need to eat they know they need nutrients they know they need so they're coming in and having a drink packed full of kale and everything else I'm not a fan of them, I don't particularly like them, I know what's there, it's there for customer needs. We have the guys that go in and train chest on Mondays and do whatever else and have a couple of state wraps and protein shakes and that's them. We have the, we have one family restaurant of the year, once, maybe twice, and even older couple who come in because they like the coffee. If somebody who comes in because they're vegan and like something vegan that we sell, if somebody comes in who, you know, celiac and likes something particular that we do, um, there's so many different kind of strings that we do and it's, we can, that's probably a lot to our detriment at times because we're kind of that widespread net, but it's also one of our... It our lends itself, also lends itself to longevity. Yeah, yeah. You're, that you're not uh, a, a ketogenic specific, you're not part mm-hmm. of a diet restaurant, you're not a paleo restaurant. 100%, like whenever, whenever we open, like some of the madness that we get asked, so for instance, we get asked, like, we had a guy come in and ask, could he see our water system? He wanted to know where we're using a, a Kangam water filter for, as like for washing the dishes and, you know, different things like that. And as you say, you get people coming in and want to eat keto. Whenever we opened, CrossFit was just booming and it was massive. And I had things in the menu labeled as paleo and, and different pieces, but some people say they don't eat paleo now, they can, but for us, it's up to them to, to know what they're doing. Um, I have kind of visions in my head where I want to take the restaurant and what I want to do with the menu and a lot of development. We're planning a lot of development in the next kind of six months. And I want the menu to be a lot more kind of the big thing for me and where I believe restaurants are going is customization. And as people want to come in and get you know, an order off the same menu but have two completely different meals. If you look at the likes of Fusion, uh, no two people in Fusion eat the same thing. No. And it's, it's 12 components all made up, you know, say different, 12 or 15. Um, and the, the extent, we probably have to do a lot of that with our menu mm-hmm. to, to fit different people's needs. People just want a simple option which we'll always need to cater for, but I think customization is going to be massive, and that's kind of where I, I think I'll be taking a business for the next six, 12, 18 months and, and what we're doing. Um, I'll be able to do it and have a, have a menu done, uh, like I'm going to call it the macro menu. We can literally go in, you can send me a tablet, you can pick your calorie value, you can pick your fat, fat you can pick your carbs, kind of things. Good idea. The big problem that I have with it is consistency, because mm-hmm. if no, no two people are coming in making the same, or having the same dish, mm-hmm. the chefs aren't making the same dish twice, yeah. and you know they might not make it again for three weeks, and it's, it's trying to work about that kind of yeah. portion analysis and all that different 
kind of kind of fun stuff. But that's kind of how we we sort of started the test where we are. Loads of different places have kind of popped up and opened and doing what they're doing. And they fall away and they go into oh, we'll do this and even cinema world and different bits and pieces. We get people mailing us on a daily basis. Oh, what are the cities in this and then cinema world or reply back to them. Oh, absolutely. No, no I hear idea. what you're talking about. Um, and that sense is a pile of bollocks. It, it's, it's a fad that. It, it's not. It's not even a fad that. It's uh, calorie count people who. It's I mean, calorie count yes, dressed it, up. Of course it is, but I mean, um, yeah, basically that's what all diets are. You know, ultimately. That's them and where they package it beautifully, and they. I think even even the word is detrimental. You're demonizing food by calling it sense. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. Think that, I think that's 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 you unnecessary. Food. Well, not really. You can eat, you can eat like five, six curly orlies in a day, and it's still fit in your sins. But, yeah. uh, we should be demonizing food. No, you know, no, it's, it's definitely it's okay. not. That's okay to enjoy food. hundred percent. Food is fuel. I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. We went away there. I was in a really good place training anything else. Uh, me and Kate went on holiday there. And I put on a ridiculous something like 14 pounds. Wonderful. That. But I actually wasn't even going mental. So like we were having a big breakfast every day. I didn't train. I was away and I brought the gear with me. I was training. I just said I was taking a week off training. Um, a little bit of water weight from just eating crab food every day. Well, but water and salt. You know, water, salt, and all the different bits and pieces. And I'm not, uh, it's the same scales. I'm not worried about them. I'm using, using my trainers, using my market. Different people have different things. People want to make weight. I'm the guy that's standing eating what I want for breakfast before I compete. And I don't have to do that. As a, on the flip side of it, I have to face guys the same size as me. And, yeah. and that's cool. But like I see other guys that they go in ready to compete and it's like I'm watching them stand shaking and sucking their jelly babies and I'm like yeah that's not for me it's no, you know, no. Uh, for me food something that should, that should be enjoyed and different people have different health reasons for, for what they're doing and what they want to eat and, and different things I go on and off our meal prep and we prep at home too because it's uh, you can kick up two kids they'll cook something that they can have and, and we can do as well and, and different things but absolutely uh, food should be enjoyed perfect I'm going to stop talking about this no no that's, fun, that's, a, that's a perfect place to bring it to an yeah. conclusion before we go any <clears throat> before we finish obviously the show who do you want to give a shout out to and first of all actually where do people find you we're sitting in one of your coffee shops here which is output in Lisbon Road which is tremendous by the way they're yeah. really lovely coffee yes I know I felt really bad because Johnny was what was he making a lasagna or something no it was a quiche quiche yeah I had to stop 30 minutes I'd be like lads I just need to check on the quiche I've been, really? here, I've been sitting here busting for another coffee and didn't want to order one directly <laughs> um, so we're going to go off here and get a coffee should we but uh, no, I have Output, which is a specialty coffee and eatery on Lisbon Road in Belfast. We have Slims on Lisbon Road in Belfast. We have Slims in Belfast Road, uh, Belfast. We have Slims in Macrofelt. Uh, my social medias are all private. Anybody who isn't a weirdo can add me and I'll accept it. It's just at Gary Mac Belfast. It's only really Instagram. I've been on Facebook for five years and added nothing to my life. So uh, other than that, all the, the business socials are at Output Expresso or at Slims HK. Perfect. Um, just, thank you very much no no this has been a fantastic chat and something we've talked about for a number of months now to get you on the show so again partially self indulgent on my part because you're a man of mine um, it's nice to have you on the show and it's nice to you to open up basically about your own fitness and training journey anchor. Um, and now into combat sports and also your own business in here in Northern Ireland so we're trying to do the best that we possibly can to promote people from the island of Ireland and show how talented people are from here and you're by far one of them so it was brilliant to have you on the show Phil Andy just a, a quick mention of where people can find us on the socials on the socials yes they can find us at Not Another Fightcast on Facebook and also Not Another Fightcast on Instagram Phil where can we get you um, if you want to find me you can get me on Facebook uh, just Phil Campbell on Instagram at PC underscore commentary perfect and you can find me at the underscore icon at 77 on Instagram again keep saying it's just pictures of boxing and my little dog so folks we have been not another fight cast and this has been a great show with Gary 
Um, Phil, what have you got to say for us? Peace, love, and Batman.